Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Friends, I'm quite aware that this is the time that you should hear a sermon or have a sermon prepared. Um, However, I do believe that our students have done an amazing job. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. Yeah, let's clap for them. (laughs) Amen, amen. I'm glad y'all jumped the gun and were ready to clap. And I'm excited about it because that is what I was going to ask you all to do. If you haven't understood by now, I absolutely love the next generation. I love it. My heart beats for them because I know what awaits them. And so I believe it's not just my duty. I believe it's the church's duty to love them and to spiritually form them so that when the devil takes his best shot, they will still be able to proclaim that I love Jesus. Amen. And so, my friends, today, along that same pattern and line, we're going to talk today for our time together about the consequence of disobedience. The consequence of disobedience from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 15 through 26. And before we dive in, let's pray together. God in heaven, the God that specializes with doing something and making something out of nothing. Let's see yet again what you do with nothing. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. The consequence of disobedience. My brothers and sisters, a half-truth is a statement that conveys only part of the truth especially one used deliberately in order to deceive someone. My friends, I'm just going to say this from the outset that half-truths equal up to being a total lie. Funny thing is that many of you and us would love to debate that. I remember debating this matter with my father. When I was in elementary school, you see, most days my dad would pick me up lovingly from school and we would go home. And the first thing that I was tasked with doing was my homework. I remember doing some of my homework. But the first challenge in any of this work would cause me to stop, to doodle on my paper, or to look at the various pictures that were inside of my textbook. My whole goal was to allow time to lapse in an effort to make it seem that I would have completed all of my work. My dad would often be in the next room handling business for his career on conference calls and such. And when the time had lapsed about 30 to 40 minutes, I'd peek my head in the doorframe and mouth, I'm finished, Dad. After that, he'll say, that's good, Pop. That's what he called me. And I was then free to go eat a snack, take a nap, play a video game, anything other than homework. And what I would do after I did all of that is I would finish my homework later, preferably in the morning, right before turning it in. (laughs) 
However, my friends, I met my match one day when I was in the first grade. There was a lady by the name of Nancy Davis at R.N. Fickett Elementary School. And we would sit down on the floor and wait for her to open the door before class. And she saw me running frantically, writing on my paper, finishing my homework that I was supposed to finish the night before. She looked at me, shook her head, and immediately said, Josh, come with me. And she called my mother and my father in for a parent-teacher conference. I did some of my work, though. I did some of it during the allotted homework time, but again, I tell you that a half-truth equals a total lie, and the consequence of disobedience was not pretty. My friends, up to this point during the month of January, we have heard lovingly from my pastor about the book of 1 Samuel. We've seen 1 Samuel in here in this book. We've noticed the birth and how his mom entrusted his entire life to being a truth teller of God. We've witnessed Samuel gaining his call into ministry. We've noticed that the priest Eli had some absolute crazy sons with some crazy names, and the Lord corrected their craziness in an abrupt way. Friend, we've noticed that God is quite serious about the ark of the Lord and desires that it to, and then desires for it to be exactly where he wants it. We've noticed the Lord giving a knockout punch to the Philistines to stop them from attacking Israel. God has done some amazing things for Israel. But looking at other nations, they become caught up with the Joneses and become obsessed with wanting a king. This tall, mighty man of valor by the name of Saul is selected to be Israel's king. Saul, you see, has a great start. He defeats the Ammonites very well. But then power begins to infiltrate the mind of Saul as he begins to make foolish decisions just because he could and because he was the man in power. My friends, I I just got to tell you, Saul was crazy. Saul stayed in conflict. He was fighting everybody. He fought the people in Ammon. He fought the Moabites, the Edomites. He even fought the king of Zoab. He even fought the Philistines. This brother is crazy. I got to tell you, he is. This brother is spiraling down and is filled with pride. And things shift from bad to worse when the Bible offers the account of how the Lord desired to punish Amalek for the wrongs he committed towards Israel. Saul, you see, he got a meticulous strategic command to put every single thing to death. That meant animals, that also meant people, but he spared the light of the Kenites. Why? Because they were kind to him. They were so kind to him that they fed to his ego that he said, you know what? I'll spare you. Saul was so full of himself that he traveled down to Carmel and erected a monument of himself. Talk about vain. Samuel hears about all of these prideful and foolish and disobedient actions. And it's right here in 1 Samuel 15, verses 15 through 26, that my good brother, the truth teller that we have lovingly decided to know in January, is about to address Saul's disobedience. Now, amazing people, don't allow your neighbor to doze off and don't allow your friend to begin scrolling on social media because there are some practical lessons that we need to capture today because the first lesson that we're going to see is very simple, that half-truths, they lead to full consequences.
Look right here in verses 15 through 19. You see, Saul was supposed to destroy everything, every person, every animal. But yet there are some animal sounds at the moment. And Samuel approaches the scene and all he hears is cattle and sheep noises. Saul said in verse 15, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, just stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Uh Uh-oh. Probably summarizes the thoughts of Saul at this moment of being questioned by Samuel. I mean, he did destroy the people. He just kept the sheep and the cattle. That's okay, right? Saul clearly understands that his back is up against the wall and he assigns religious purpose to the sheep and the cattle that he neglected to destroy, saying, oh, but I plan to sacrifice these animals to the Lord your God. You know him, right? This will atone for somebody's sin, even that of my own. I promise I had religious purposes for this. But was it all for God or was it all for Saul? It seems like my good brother Saul suffers from a disease that many of us suffer from. I like to call it priditis and a strong case of too much power. You see, Saul became captured by what he could gain immediately instead of following the instructions that he was told. Oh, my friends, don't we find ourselves here often at the intersection of right now or later then? Well, we must decide whether the shortcut is worth it. If the lie will help, or will the half-truth continue the friendship, or if we will follow God and receive our reward in heaven. Saul, like many of us, wanted what he wanted right now. Instant gratification was his drug, and he became intoxicated each and every day. But watch out. Because Saul teaches us that if we find ourselves inebriated by the drug of power, it becomes challenging to follow the instructions of God because we will only desire to follow our own set of instructions. You see, this half-truth fueled by power led to Samuel recounting all that God had done for Saul, but also reminding him of God's instructions and how he lacked to follow them. And Saul asked this very big question. Why did you become so captured by the distraction that you neglected the divine? This is huge for all of us. Because sometimes we often overlook the distraction, even if it is tied to our desire to ultimately follow God. This is challenging, I know, but we have to trust that God knows better. And God is God and we're his children for a reason. 
We have to begin to ask ourselves in the times that we feel distracted, we have to ask this question, why am I placing my faith in this when this is not God? I like the way Edwin Cole would describe this when he says that obedience is an act of faith, but disobedience is the result of disbelief. You see, Saul's life, it teaches us that these half-truths that we love to tell, they lead to full consequences. But I love this episode. I told you it's better than an episode of the have and the have-nots because this pivotal episode of Saul, it continues. It's not over. I promise there's not even a commercial. Look at verses 20 through 21. And it begins and continues this way. Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agog, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But from the spoil, the people took the sheep and the cattle, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul will not confess this wrong. He's married to this lie. He's going all the way on a honeymoon and spending 40 years with it. He just continues to attempt to justify why he chose to operate in disobedience. And this teaches us that half-truths are roadblocks to faithfulness. You see, Samuel hears the animal sounds. He hears the sheep and the cattle. You can't neglect that. The sounds are right in my ear. And he's still lying. Samuel understands the instructions, but yet Saul is attempting to continuously justify his absolute wrong behavior. I mean, as I read this this week, I was like, dude, come on, just say you're wrong. Just acknowledge that you should not have done this and you should have been more faithful. Come on. But Saul, he was just married to his justification of this lie. And when I think about how Saul would not give up this lie, it forces me to think about my father. One interesting fact about George Norman Scott that you may not know was that he was not fond of wearing seatbelts. My father had a rather large stomach. I'm working out trying not to inherit that. (laughs) And he would love to offer excuses as to why he could not wear his seatbelt. I can hear him now saying, Pop, it just presses on my stomach too much. Pop, I don't like that seatbelt because it restricts my breathing. However, one day, after we came from the barbershop, we were driving home, and all of a sudden, I noticed the East Point police's lights in in the window. And he pulled over, but as he was pulling over, he frantically tried to fasten the seatbelt as quick as he could. And so the cop comes to the door and he says, license and registration, please. My dad says, here you go, sir. I've done nothing wrong. The cop goes back to his car, handles his business. However, I notice in his right hand, there's a ticket. And he walks up to the car and says, here you go. Next time, don't allow me to have to stop you to get you to utilize your seatbelt. My friends, oftentimes in our lives, it takes tragedy to grip our attention and to cause us to do what we knew to do the entire time. 
We know we should be faithful to God, and being faithful to God means being loving to God and loving God and spending time with God's word. But it usually takes us being pulled over by hurt, pulled over by rejection, pulled over by disobedience, pulled over by defeat before we make the intentional decision to become fastened to our faith and believe in God. Saul is kind of like my father at this moment, and sometimes he's just like many of us where we like to make excuses for the purpose of justifying our wrongs. But listen, there's no use to justify the wrong. It's just simply disobedience. And disobedience does not please God. This isn't my view. It's the Lord's view. We know this because in the anonymous letter in the Hebrews, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Here's the truth, my friends. Take this home and you can think about it as you're eating Chick-fil-A maybe on Monday. We cannot say we love God and love our distraction at the same time. It just does not work. Saul, my friends, he loved the things that he could collect from people. He killed more than God. And I hate to upset the equilibrium, but truth be told, we put a lot of things in front of God daily. We put sometimes technology before God. Sometimes we put our desire for power before God. We put many other things before seeking a deeper relationship with God. And when we do this, it makes it quite challenging because we can only partially obey God. Half-truths, my friends, are the roadblocks to the faithfulness that we should have with God. Please hear me today that God doesn't want our excuse. God wants all of us. And so that leads to the last point of this episode here. Because in verses 22 through 26, we notice this, that total reliance is what pleases God. Listen to what's happening right here in verses 22 through 26. It says, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Surely to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray, pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Throughout this entire episode, Saul has justified his disobedience, sharing, I only took the sheep and the cattle because I was going to offer it to the Lord to atone for my sins. But now Saul, he understands he can't run any longer. Saul understands that Samuel nor God is playing with his empty excuses. Saul understands through the words of Samuel, that God desires his obedience rather than any other sacrifice that he could offer. 
And yet, after a boatload of empty excuses, we notice Saul in authentic form in verse 24 saying, I messed up because the people, they were going to talk. The people told me that they wanted to take the spoil from the war. And so I listened to them over God. But Saul, why could you not say this in the beginning? Because sometimes it takes tragedy to get us to be authentic with God. My friends, however, we learn here that you cannot compensate by sacrifice what you lose in disobedience. The consequence of disobedience is seen right here that Saul is stripped of his title as king of Israel. But the episode's over. But what would have happened if Saul had called out to God in the midst of his insecurity of worrying about what people thought. Could there have not been power in him calling out to Christ? I think there is power in calling out of sorts. This is why in the Democratic Republic of Congo, there are specific types of monkeys called the bonobo monkeys. And in the wilderness, these bonobo monkeys, they live up to 40 years, mainly because they know how to call out to the other monkeys. You see, the bonobo monkeys, they travel through the wilderness, and if they encounter any form of trouble, they make a loud, piercing call to alert the rest of the monkeys. And when those monkeys hear, they come directly running for the rescue. Maybe, just maybe, If when Saul began to feel himself becoming submerged with pride, he should have called on God and God could have rescued him. Friends, there is power in what we call out to. Today, my friends, are you calling out to your distractions? Are you calling out to your insecurities? Are you calling out to power? Are you calling out to comfort? Because when you call out to those things, it can do nothing but land you in the sea of disobedience. Or will you call out to God? Will you be faithful to God? Will you pay attention to the instructions that God has for all of our lives? Saul lost it all because of a half-truth. But think about what he could have gained had he called out to the one true God. May we learn from Saul that God desires our total reliance and not our empty excuses. And may we call out to God each and every day. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we ask your forgiveness for every time we've called out to anything other than you. And so now, God, we pray for that man, that woman, that boy, or that girl, that you may be moving in their heart, that if by chance you're moving in their heart to make a decision, that they would do so this day. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As we prepare to sing together, you've heard the sermon, but the best sermon you'll ever hear is the one you're willing to put into practice. If God is moving in any way in your heart for membership to accept Christ or simply to just come down and shake our pastor's hand as we sing together, feel free to walk the aisle. It's allowed. Let's stand and sing together.
Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.